Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I had a, a fun couple of weeks since we last recorded. All right. Because I, I wasn't on last week's episode. That's I don't know true. If you, I don't yes. know if you noticed. I don't know if the listeners noticed, but uh, I wasn't. Oddly enough, I did not notice at all. Yeah, I wasn't here. Um, uh, I had a great time watching the Oscars. Um, I was I went to Las Vegas in the time off, but I also did something really fun the night before the Oscars. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to be invited by the HD Shorts channel to the Shorts Awards. Oh, okay. In which they take the films that have been nominated for the Oscars. And then give awards within those best actor, best director, those sort of that, that sort of thing. Um, and it was uh, at the Paley Center uh, in in Beverly oh, okay. Hills, um, which is a television museum uh, <laughs> among other things. But right. this was about uh, shorts, and it was. Uh, I just wanted to mention it because they were nice enough to invite me. It's a really awesome thing, um, and uh, HD Shorts Channel is doing awesome stuff by getting short films more. Uh, exposure you know the, the you know this this thing that is happening in more and more cities nationwide where you can go see the animated shorts as uh, as a block you know you pay yeah uh, as if you're seeing a movie and you're seeing uh, the five animated shorts the five five action shorts or the five documentary shorts or whatever like they're doing that you know and it's um it's not just in the huge markets anymore you know my my mom and sister in Boise, Idaho went to the theater oh, to, to see the live action shorts. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to mention it was a good time. I hung out with a friend of the show, Aaron Newworth. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some cocktails and, uh, past hors d'oeuvres and there were some, uh, people on stilts and people, uh, hanging from ribbons and rings and doing acrobatics and stuff. Oh. And then they gave awards out. It was like, it was a blast. It was a great time. Uh, so hat tip to HD shorts channel and check them out and uh, watch more short movies. If you like short films, then this is already too late, but I'll go ahead and say, it. <laughs> uh, so by the time this posts, uh, yesterday I, David, it goes against my everything about me, but, uh, I actually ran a Q and a oh. at the Los Angeles short film festival yeah. in the short documentary category. Okay. Um, I was one of the, I was one of the judges for the, the overall festival and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Where was this held? Oh. Don't say Los Angeles. I know that. Uh, I, let's see now they have it, uh, depending on the day. Sure. Uh, in one case it's Beverly Hills and then in the other in, I believe in Hollywood, but, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. As you don't of, know where you were yesterday? I don't remember where I was. Oh, David, it was such a blur. Um, yeah, so... Um, Wait, you really don't know if you were in Beverly Hills or Hollywood? Yeah, I don't recall. What is going on here? Sorry. I'm doing it Saturday. Oh. Okay. You said yesterday. Yeah, as of the day of record, of posting. Okay. So the, by the, the time the this cat's posts, out of the bag on that, like <laughs> I know the listeners aren't really thinking. I just I just didn't want anybody to think that I was plugging this thing that happened yesterday. Uh, okay. Sorry, that happened for them yesterday. So or whenever, <laughs> or six years ago. I don't know when you're listening to this. <laughs> Who's on first? Uh, so yeah, it's um, <laughs> this is delightful. Uh, yes. No, so it was really. Uh, I'll say this. I ha- I have already acted as a judge okay so i watched uh in january i watched um dozens if not over a hundred short films and 
you know, as tends to happen, a lot of them aren't very good, but there are some that are so great. But it was your job to separate the wheat from the chaff. Ex- the, I'm sorry, the what? The wheat. From yeah, the that's the one. That's yeah. the one. From the chaff, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a C, there's an H in there. Um, yeah. So it was it was a great deal of of fun watching these films, and I'm I'm nervous a little bit to run this Q and A. It's only going to be a half hour. I don't think it's going to make or break my uh, would be career, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And there has been a huge uh, uptick in uh, popularity of this film festival. You attended it. Last year, it is where Jason's yeah. film did well. That was in. It uh, was last year. Yeah. Okay. That was in uh, North Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so here's what I found out: is the first year that they ran it, they had 150 submissions. Um, this year, they had 450 submissions. Uh, that's how quick it it caught on. Um, and then they had a number of judges. I covered a certain number of categories mm-hmm. and uh you know it, i'm glad i there's no way i could have watched 450 films yeah. i have a, an actual job and people i love in my life um but yeah it was a, it was a great deal of fun that's fantastic and I'm, I'm honored david i'm honored yeah it was a great i mean it was a great deal of fun watching the films it will have been a great deal of fun hosting the q a in yes, either Beverly hills or hollywood exactly exactly next year next year next week you'll have to fill us in on which neighborhood slash municipality uh, you were you were in? Absolutely, I, I'll know more when I walk down the red carpet, you know, to uh-huh. to get to the Los Angeles Short Film Festival. So, okay, uh, now we've got stuff to get to in a moment, but this so this episode is officially our last episode of 2015. Now, I know we're three months into 2016, yeah. but here's, here's the deal. As you know, we've been... We're uh, on the f- fiscal calendar. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, so we cover end-of-the-year stuff well into March. Uh, I mean, I guess the first week of March is usually how it works out. Uh, and so I wanted to remind everybody, and I'll put a button on the Battleship Retention website at the top oh, on the right uh, that'll say, you know, 2015 in review. You can click on that, and that'll take you to the following things. Okay. The BPs, the the ceremony, the nominations, the winners, uh, our top 10 of the year, our Oscar coverage. Uh, we have uh, We had nine writers give their top 10s of the year. And then we have the cumulative top 10 from those writers and you and myself. Uh, so if you want to, if you really want to delve into the year that was 2015, uh, then this is your chance to do it. And this is our last, yeah, our last, uh, hurrah for that. Now, as of recording, there's a couple of things that usually go up that haven't gone up this year, Yeah, which is you and I did our episode, but you also usually do posts that are just our lists. Right. Yes. I have forgotten so to that do that didn't go until up. this moment. And also, I have yet to see, I've been checking, because I don't know the results. I've been refreshing every day, multiple times a day, waiting to see the BP worst 10 of 2015. It's tough this year, David. It's tough. Uh, there's a lot of ties. Um, okay. And I... I have yet to, I'm, I'm still determining whether I want anybody to write anything about them or just post the list. I think last year we just posted it, didn't we? Or did we have people write I stuff? I think I had people write stuff last year. 
Okay. So I think I'll do that this year, which okay. is going to take a little bit of time. So that I, that will, I guess that will probably be the official. That's the note we're going to go out end on. <laughs> on a note of negativity. But don't worry. Unlike last year, where you actually had some movies that were, you know, for some people, very good uh, in the list. This year, don't worry. Uh, these are <laughs> much maligned films. Oh, good. Uh, you okay. do not need to worry your uh, pretty head about it, David. Oh, I can't wait to see it. So, don't don't spoil it. Uh, I, I won't. I won't. And uh, and because the the wor- the the top sorry the bottom ten uh, is such an informal list, I feel like the tiebreaker is going to just be me. Uh, I think <laughs> okay. I'll be like ah this one. <laughs> so okay. Uh, but before we get into what this episode is going to be a, be about, I will tell you who brings you this episode. Uh, they especially brought you that uh, bit of confusion about uh, the time warp that we're in. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Now, here's the deal. Last month, now I want to make sure I I pronounce this correctly. I want to say Andre uh, Zalowski, the director of Possession and On the Silver Stone, he passed away last month. And so in tribute to this master filmmaker, Mubi is featuring his penultimate film, Fidelity, starring Sophie Marceau. Uh, there is also a, so you can watch, uh, this and, and 29 other films at Mubi right now. There's also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. And I do want to really, uh, encourage you guys to check out Mubi. They've been very good to us and it's a really, really good, yeah, it's, really good service. You know, don't even worry about how good they are to us. They'll be good to you. That's true. That's uh, true. By offering such fantastic films for you to enjoy. Absolutely. And uh, if you're, uh, it, say you're, you're home watching these movie, movie movies on your laptop, you got your significant other asleep in the other room, you want to keep quiet, you know, mm. put in some earbuds while you're watching these fantastic mo- mo- uh, movies. Um, the way to do that, the best way to do that is to use, use tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Um, they are professional quality. They come in a variety of styles and colors. Um, they're, uh, they're very stylish and they're very colorful and, uh, they sound great and they look great and we use them and you can find them at tweakedaudio.com for a low, low price. But if you enter the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So that's tweakedaudio.com offer code pretension. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. So, okay. Let's wrap up this year. Indeed. Let's put this year to bed. Oh, but it doesn't want to. You know, it's, it wants a cup of water. It, uh, uh, it's not tired. Uh, um, that's not true. It is, at this point, very tired. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is something that I guess we've, we've done it for a while now, uh, and we call it Individual Achievements of 2015. 
Now, as we've done the BPs, a lot of these, um, I don't know, seem like they could overlap with that because we, we go through different categories, the you know acting categories, directing, screenplay, that sort of thing. And then we, we both randomly pick uh, some other category yeah. that we think somebody was, re- you know, really did something special in. Um, so I'll say this, uh, my, for myself, I tried to make sure that none of my, uh, none of my submission isn't the word, none of my picks for this episode, uh, overlap with any of the BP's nominations. Now they might be, oh, okay. they might be some that I submitted, but they did not wind up in the larger BP's list. So that was a thing that I wanted to make sure so that, uh, because at this point, you know, if you look at the BP's nominations, you've, you've already, you already have that. Those, those, you can consider those a list of recommendations. Uh, and so I wanted to use this episode as an opportunity, sort of like our between the, the, the cracks episode. Um, I want to use this as an opportunity to talk more, uh, to talk about more movies and more achievements and more performances, more screenplays and that sort of thing. So that you have just more movies that you can watch that maybe you wouldn't otherwise be interested in. So that's, that is kind of the point of this. Uh, so I'm taking the lead on this. David, what do you think? Are you excited? Uh, it sounds good. I was, um, I had to take care of some business just now. <laughs> David, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I was sending a work email. Oh, okay. That's fine. So it's actually actual business. Okay. Yes. I was literally right. doing okay. work. All right. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> son of a, all right. That's fine. Um, all right. So we're just going to bounce around these categories. We're not going to do it yeah. like, uh, like my, the Oscars do. We're mine just won't necessarily avoid the BP's nominations. I didn't think of that. Yeah, it's, I mean, and, and it's not that Some, important of a thing. Someone didn't run it by me. <laughs> Sorry, I guess what with the many years we've been doing this, I thought I might not have to. But you know what? That's on me. Next time, I will spell it out for you in block letters. Well, uh, to get serious, like, uh, um, I don't want to sound like I don't, like, I, I really enjoy doing this episode, but this this sort of thing is kind of your baby as it were. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that you drag this out of me, that you make me think about movies this way. Because, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I appreciate that you drag this out. Uh, and that was going <laughs> no, to be no, the end of it. That you may, because I, I, I think I have, a, uh, I can be kind of dogmatic in like the way I choose to look at movies. And sure. I, and I often will force myself to uh, consider them more as a whole object, you know? Yeah. And so it's not in my nature um, I mean, I know we do the nominations and stuff mm. and uh, I can pick some out and vote, but it's not in my nature to, to look at films necessarily, uh, in terms of individual achievements. And I really, uh, enjoy, like I said, that you forced me to, because, uh, I think it's good that I do. Well, it's the thing that's helpful for me because it helps me be positive. I think it's very, if you're looking, okay, I'm not, I'm not judging you for saying that you tend to view film as a whole. I think I do too. And I know that for myself, I won't speak for you for myself. If I'm looking at movie at a movie as a whole, that's kind of pass fail. You know, there's not necessarily letter grades or, or I have a hard time. Like I will, if there is a single element that is really amazing, then it's like, yeah, all right, good for it. Who cares? The movie's not very good. Mm-hmm. Whereas by by thinking, in, and while I do definitely view films, the films I love tend to be ones that are just great on the whole, you know, um, and and usually add add up to more than the sum of, of their parts. But doing this is helpful for me 
to single out individual aspects of a film that deserve to be praised. They deserve to be recognized. And maybe they're not enough to recommend the film, but it at least it helps me to recognize that even in the worst films, there can be good elements. Um, and that I, and that helps me as a critic to discern things in both bad movies, mediocre films, uh, in bad films, mediocre films and, and great films, um, to just sort of break things down, but then also see how they fit into that larger whole. So that's, that's sort of what I get out of it. Um, and so we will go ahead and jump in. We will start with, Actor, best best lead actor. Okay, I, I closed my eyes and pointed at the phone. Now this, I okay. You 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 have to go first on all of these, but especially on this one because I actually have, I I still have a few choices. I'm like you last week when you or two weeks ago when you like couldn't decide between one and two. Yeah, that's how I, I I'm I need to think a little bit more about who I want to pick as my best actor. I have I have a gut reaction, but I don't know if it's what I should say. Yeah. Now I have a hard time saying best actor because again these. Uh, there are, I, I'm not, I'm trying not to overlap with the BPs too much. And, um, and the winner of the BP for best actor was Jacob Tremblay. And I voted for him cause I thought he was amazing. Uh, and I submitted him as well. Um, but this is just an actor who everybody knows in a film that people probably have not seen. And I'd say it's worth seeing if for no other reason, uh, his performance, I think there are other reasons, but I think Ian McKellen's performance and Mr. Holmes, is particularly good. And everybody knows that Ian McKellen is a good actor. Um, but at this point, I think we have come to, we've got, we've gotten so used to seeing him as Gandalf. We've gotten so used to seeing him as Magneto that in a way it reminds me of JK Simmons and whiplash where, you know, we all eventually everyone just saw him as J Jonah Jameson or just other cuddly type characters like the dad and Juno. Meanwhile, for people like you and myself who were first introduced to him as the psychopathic neo-Nazi Vern Schillinger yeah. in Oz, then you see Whiplash come along and you're like, oh, there he is. There's <laughs> the J.K. Simmons I know. Uh, in that same way, uh, Ian McKellen, I think I first saw him, I mean, I first saw him in The Shadow, but uh, but I saw him in Richard III. Mm. I saw him in, probably for me, most notably Gods and Monsters, yeah. where he's doing fabulous, tremendous work. Uh, yeah. That's a good movie all around, and he's uh, marvelous in it. Uh, and then once again, he's working with Bill Condon, uh, for Mr. Holmes. And this is a, a sort of return to form for him. And I say that knowing that he's done great work as Magneto. He's done great work as Gandalf, but this is, is him really recognizing he's got a good role here and, um, and just kind of taking it apart, sinking his teeth into it, seeing what there is. And he's playing this aging Sherlock Holmes, a guy who his whole life, all he had was his mind, not all he had, but like he used his mind to be get, to get rich and famous. And as he's getting older, his mind is starting to go a little bit. And also, and it's sort of, it's the one thing, sorry, I don't mean the one thing it's, it is, it is his primary identity and that's starting to go. And now all he's left with is possible relationships with other people. And he realizes, Oh shoot, (laughs) I don't know how to make those and I don't know how to make them work. Um, but then you also, he doesn't have any cases to work on or anything. So then an argument could be made that his whole life is a case now. And so he's looking back specifically on one, on one case that, that was unsolved, um, or at least not solved, uh, 
in the most satisfying way. And now he has to deal with regret. And I think McKellen plays him as a character who is perpetually fascinated. I think Sherlock Holmes is, when he looks at the world, he is either fascinated or bored. And I think we see both of those elements in Ian McKellen's performance where he is either bored and thus annoyed by the things that, that come up to him, or he just will find something and just dig into it. And I think we are seeing him at a time when the thing he's most fascinated by is himself, his life, his degeneration, his regret. And he's trying to dig into it as though it were a standard mystery, but it isn't. Um, because he's dealing with the emotional world. And so we see a character who has had control basically his whole life, and now he is out of his element. And I think McKellen plays that really well. It's just a very it's a very subdued performance, but you can see fear behind mm-hmm. his eyes. You can see panic. Uh, you can see confusion, and you can also see a fair amount of tenderness. It's, it's a performance that I think it definitely makes the movie, in my opinion. Huh. Um, I think I really need to revisit this movie. Okay. Because I watched it literally back to back. I watched um, uh, this movie. What was it called? Mr. Holmes. Mr. Holmes. Uh, and then immediately watched Love and Mercy. And I feel like it kind of... I liked Mr. Holmes, but I don't think I had time to think about it because it kind of got obliterated by Love and Mercy. Yeah, yeah. I Love and Mercy is a much better <laughs> film in a number of ways. Um, all right. So for me, for Best Actor, I really considered giving a nod here to Matt Damon for The Martian, because as much as it is a conventional performance and sometimes, uh, it's, but sometimes I think things get overlooked for being conventional. I think he's right. fantastic in The Martian. It's a two and a half hour movie that he holds together um, and uh, uh, largely on his own. But I have to give the nod to my gut instinct for best uh, lead male performance of the year. And that's Greg Turkington for entertainment. All right. And I think the, and here's why, because I hesitated for a second when I thought of that and then immediately was like, no, that's not true because I thought, well, he's just playing himself, but he's not. No, he's playing like those of us who have seen Neil Hamburger, the, his persona on stage for years. Yeah. Forget maybe like to, to us, it's just like, well, that's the new Ham, Neil Hamburger I've seen for years. Yeah. And realize, that's not Greg Turkington. Greg Turkington is a regular guy yeah. who's been doing this character and is, and so fully embodies this character. Um, uh, that I do sometimes forget that it's not a guy, no. uh, that, that, that Neil Hamburger is a real person. But also what's even more, um, uh, astounding to me is that he's taken the exact persona of the Neil Hamburger character, mm-hmm. um, and made him so much deeper and sadder. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a sadness to Neil Hamburger, the character the, uh, that you'd see do stand up, um, yeah. but a sadness that you're sort of invited to to laugh at and the sadness turned to anger. And it sort of reminds me of, I'm just not making this connection, but it reminds me of Adam Sandler and punch drunk love Sure, where he took elements of his standard comedy characters in terms of like a certain amount of arrested development and Mm -hmm. some issues controlling rage and stuff like that. And he took all these ingredients and then just went deeper with them, you know? And that's kind of, I think what, uh, Greg Turkington has done here is he's, he's been doing this persona for at this point more than 15 years, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, uh, just tapped into, uh, things that were already there, but, uh, brought them to the surface in a way that we wouldn't have expected and made them, um, it's while still being funny, uh, sad and 
frightening in ways <laughs> beyond just uh, the joke. And it's it's such an interesting choice on the part of the director um, to have you have the on straight the on stage persona and then the off stage persona, and they're so notably different that right that you know you start to I mean you you can't help but wonder it's like all right so which one is more real? I mean, they're probably right. yeah. both, they're probably both real, but like, is Neil Hamburger simply what the Greg Turkington character wants to say? Is this what he wants to believe? Or is he, is this like sort of him dealing with the negative aspect of himself and just like, I got to get rid of this somehow. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's, and, and, but the fact you're, you're absolutely right. Even on stage when he's being this obnoxious, cartoonish, ridiculous grotesque character uh-huh. uh there is there is tremendous sadness there that i yeah. that i think it just the, the whole film is and, just, just yeah. permeates it and frightening anger yeah 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 from a that, guy that who, scene with amy simons is tough. yeah um yeah from a guy who offstage couldn't be less intimidating seeming yeah he can be really terrifying yeah uh, on stage all right. Well, what's the next category? Well, I will go ahead and use uh, this as a transition to get us into supporting actor, where I have picked Ty Sheridan in Entertainment. Um, oh, who I thought what it, that it was a surprise to me. Um, when I think of Ty Sheridan, I think of you know Mud mm-hmm. and Joe and other three letter <laughs> titles. Um, Alf, Alf, absolutely, no <laughs> question about it. Uh, L I E. Um, so, um, <laughs> just thinking of more, I'm thinking more and I can't, I, I can't do that. Uh, I think of him as an actor that is very, he's dependable. Um, but I think of him as quiet, monotone, introspective, not super expressive. And when I say monotone, I don't mean that necessarily in, in a negative way, but just, um, you know, and, and come to realize that those are just the characters he plays. He plays like these very withdrawn Southern characters in movies like Joe and movies like mud. Um, then I saw him, I see him in this and I see that again, there's the onstage persona and mm. the offstage offstage is a little bit more the Ty Sheridan. I know he's, he's quiet. He's, you know, he's still, uh, he's not quite as withdrawn as, as I'm used to seeing him, but, um, but he's he's just a more of a, a regular person at that point. And then his onstage persona, that that's the thing is the whatever vanity the actors in entertainment might have, <laughs> they just have to check them at the door. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's Greg Turkington, if it's Michael Sarah, Amy Simons, John uh, uh, John C. Riley, um, or Ty Sheridan. I mean, when you look at what his stage act is i mean it's it's horrifying and funny and deeply uncomfortable mm-hmm. um you know there's i remember there's this it sounds so strange to say this there's a there's a scene where you're seeing his it's a very it's a close up of him on stage and he wears you know this wife uh, wife beater and the and a red nose and the the hat and he just kind of this weird clown type character and it's and so there's a close up on his face as he is seeming to masturbate on stage and it sounds so strange but like ty sheridan commits a hundred percent and the fact that you don't see where his hands are (laughs) i I found myself thinking like okay wait a minute he is just acting like the character is is miming this undoubtedly right yeah uh 
otherwise you'd get arrested. So I feel like that, but at the same time, it's Kern County. Who cares? <laughs> um, you know, I just, I drove through Kern County on my way, uh, home from my, uh, my birthday trip and it's, it was weird. It was very strange because I haven't been there in eight years, but yeah. that's, that's, you know, where I grew up in the oil fields and stuff and entertainment does such a great job of showing just the inherent hopelessness of everything there. Um, and so just Ty Sheridan's performance, it's everything a supporting performance should be. You know, he's there for the, you know, he's there to bounce things off of. He's there to add to the world. He's there to add to, to, to give a little bit more definition and perspective on the, on the, the main character. Uh, and it is a very, it is an unselfconscious performance. It is a deeply committed performance and it is one that I did not think was in Ty Sheridan. And now I'm actually very excited to see what he does next, uh, in his career. I know he's going to be playing Cyclops, which again, in that I was just like, Cyclops isn't like quiet and moody. But now when I see him in this, I realize, oh no, he's an actor. I forgot <laughs> right. an actor's act. And yeah, I, th- I thought he was marvelous. Yeah. Cyclops is kind of moody. He's just not quiet. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's kind of moody, but, uh, but not the, uh, he's not the, the, the angsty type of character that, uh, that we've seen Ty Sheridan play elsewhere. Right. Okay, supporting uh, actor, what do you got? Supporting actor, for me, uh, I'm going to go, without hesitation, with Harvey Keitel in Youth. I assumed. Um, because, as I think I've said before, um, and I know, I know I've said this before, that there are some actors who are so consistently great that it becomes unremarkable that they're mm-hmm. great. Uh, this is beyond that to it's the point where it feels like I'm rediscovering how great Harvey Keitel is mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. Um, and I'm trying to dance around what to say about his performance without, um, talking about, um, you know, without giving away where the movie goes. Um, but he's, he's the more uh, of the two friends in the movie, him and Michael Caine, who mm-hmm. are the, I guess the Michael Caine is the lead, but he's the, he's close to a co-lead, I guess. Yeah. Um, Michael Caine is the one who's, dour and um more quiet you know um and seems to have more of a cynical outlook on life um and harvey Keitel seems to be the one who's more uh energetic he's more optimistic he's looking for he's working on his next film he's Mm -hmm. looking toward the future he's very excited about things that are um that are that are coming up but as movie goes on you you realize that um he is as unhappy, if not more unhappy than Michael Caine's character. And these things are, um, they're not just, uh, coping mechanisms, his happiness, but they're, um, he, he's, they're echoes of who he used to be. Yeah. You know, in, in one sense, he's, um, grown up and made, he, he plays a film director for those who don't know, a very, uh, one who's, had a lot of acclaim and won a lot of awards and, uh, the actors he's directed have gone on to win a lot of awards. Um, and he's very much part of the establishment, the Hollywood establishment. Um, at least I get that impression. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a part of him that's still the ambitious young Turk as it were. Um, and it becomes as a, as the movie goes on a little bit more heartbreaking when you realize how far he actually is from whatever young person he used to be. Um, despite the fact that he's still behaving like that person or right. trying to. Right. 
Yeah, it's a great performance. Um, so, okay, we will jump to screenplay. You didn't have any... Okay. No, I just... I, honestly, like, I didn't want to... Uh, full disclosure, I feel like I've been talking a lot on the show, and I recognize there's only two of us, but I feel like I've been uh, talking maybe like 65%. Okay, um, well, that's and, fine, because as you really said, this is your baby, and also people who listen to the movie journal know that I am kind of inside my head right now because of some work stuff. Um, so that's, that's probably why. So between my self-consciousness, no, I just mean in gen- like the last several weeks. No, oh, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a thing that has been bothering me uh, tremendously. So uh, listeners, feel free to email me, tylerbattleshippretension.com, if you disagree and you think I should talk more. Um, okay, so screenplay is what we're going with. Yeah, this is original or adapted. Or adapted, just Which all screenplays. So... It was hard for me to choose because a lot of the things that I submitted for the BPs actually were nominated. Uh, and then I realized how difficult it is or how difficult it must have been to write the screenplay for Creed. Uh, huh. So Ryan Coogler and Aaron Covington wrote the seventh film in a series. Yeah. And I can't help but remember one of my favorite jokes in Dirty Work is... Norm MacDonald talking to Chevy Chase, and he's like, wait a minute, are you telling me you bet on the fight in Rocky Three and you bet against Rocky? <laughs> what he could have basically been saying is, you mean to tell me you bet on a formulaic film and you bet against the formula? Right. Creed, like, at this point, yes, Rocky Balboa did a good job of reestablishing the gritty, uh, dark, hard-living type of, of character and world that Rocky Balboa is and exists in. Um, but Creed had to introduce new characters. It had to, the big thing for me that I've said before is it needs to, because by, by now referencing Apollo Creed, yes, that's the first film. Yes. It's the second film. It is also the third film and the fourth film. (laughs) And he dies in the fourth film at the hands of Ivan Drago, the like genetically manipulated Russian. Like it's mm-hmm. just who represents the Soviet Union. It's it's ridiculous. The fourth film is ridiculous. And that means Apollo Creed's death is ridiculous. It is important that these guys give us give give it the weight that it deserves for a world where in a real world. So they do say he died in the ring. They do not specify how good call, but at the very least they need to reestablish stakes in a, in a series that yes, again, Rocky Balboa laid a, some good groundwork, but this series stopped having stakes a long time ago. Um, and they need to reinvigorate us about the idea of Rocky, the idea of, of Adonis Creed and the idea of, of starting maybe a new series, who knows, or if it stops here, what a one it's a wonderful place to stop um and so they just they had so and also they have to feed into the formula without it feeling formulaic and they do and so and this comes into the filmmaking as well so that w- eventually in the last fight when we start to hear the the uh the the trumpets from the rocky theme it can't like it's the same thing we've heard and when when mm-hmm. he's starting to rally at the last minute uh in previous films we can't we cannot feel 
that it is cheesy, like in the screenplay in the characters that they've created, the way they express themselves and the way the story unfolds, we need to, the, the film basically, the screenplay earns the formula. It rediscovers the power of it and then it earns it. And, uh, I don't think un- I even heard that's that. That's unfortunate. Um, sorry. One of my neighbors is doing they something. Yeah. One of my neighbors is doing something frustrating and it looks like it could go on for a while. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, that's unfortunate. So somebody should tell him that it is too late to be doing what he's doing. Um, no, it's not. I think so. People <laughs> could be asleep. I mean, obviously they aren't, but, uh, you know, people around here, you know, people in my neighborhood also, don't have jobs. I, if you, if you, I, I, I clearly have different views on this than you do. After if you nine, choose to live in a place where you're, uh, you know, uh, with shoulder to shoulder with other people, this is what's going to happen. You, That's you know, fine. Go, but there are, go live in Butte, Montana. Even in Los Angeles, there are sound ordinances after 9 p.m. And while I'm fine with reorganizing your garage, that's fine. But I wasn't sure if he was doing that or working on a project. All right. And 10 till 10. Hey, I stay up till 4 a.m. Okay. I'm not judging people at, living late at night. But, you know, I try to keep my life quiet so as not to bother the people around me. But anyway, yeah, I, I agree to disagree, I guess. That's fine. Listeners, David at Battleship Tell him if you agree no, with me. Put it in the comments. Oh, yes. Comments. That's right. I that, way, I, that way everyone can see your uh, your opinions, which are either right, David's or wrong. Tyler's. Oh, um, <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's my point is that um, to go back to what I was saying before, um, to work within a formula and make it feel new after seven movies is a huge achievement. And Ryan Coogler, like I have not seen, I still have not seen Fruitvale station. I feel like I should, I feel like I would love it. I'm excited to see the black Panther film now. Not that I wasn't, but I'm more excited. Mm. Just Ryan Coogler is a really, really good director and a very, very good writer. Have, uh, I'm sure this observation has been made a billion times. I just haven't seen it because I haven't seen Creed, but Creed and Force Awakens are both the seventh film in a franchise that rehashed the initial film. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. I haven't thought of that. Yeah. All right. Um, real quick about Sylvester Stallone. I have found myself in watching the Oscars this year rooting for the person who is most expected to win. Yeah. Because I feel, I don't know if this is just me projecting, I feel like Sylvester Stallone is probably more upset than he, that he didn't win than Mark Rylance is happy that he did win. <laughs> oh, sure. Absolutely. And that upsets me. Like I couldn't focus. Like I love Mark Rylance. I loved him in Wolf Hall. I loved him in British Spies. Um, I was happy that he won, but I couldn't stop thinking like, I feel so bad for Sylvester Stallone I right know. now. Especially, and you haven't seen Creed, right? No, I haven't. I mean, he's doing, as an actor, he's doing the best work of his career. I genuinely believe that he's doing something really special in that film. And right. And then this was his chance to be yeah. recognized for it. And he didn't get it. I felt terrible. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know why I care. Cause I don't care about the Oscars, yeah. but it's his emotion. Like I, of all people, I felt bad for Leonardo DiCaprio all night because they were, because the best actor award was so late. Yeah. And then I like, I was, I kept every time we would cut to him, I would be like, he's not enjoying this because he's just on the edge of it. He's just sure. a ball of anxiety right now. And probably, especially after Stallone lost, yeah. right. He was probably like, Oh shit. Like, the, They're turning on the front runners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that weird that I'm rooting for the front runners because I think I don't no, want because, them to be sad. 
No, because, well, and that's the thing is like sometimes in this, I think it's this ceremony, the front runners were people that we have an emotional connection with, Mm -hmm. you know, if the front runner was, if he, if it was Matt Damon in the Martian, now I can, I connect with Matt Damon. I appreciate that. But there wasn't so much drama around. Yeah. Is he finally going to win? Nobody talks about that with Matt Damon. He's been nominated several times, not as many times. But like for some yeah. reason, well, I think part of I think Leonardo DiCaprio like wanted it more obviously. I guess so. Which should make me less like root for him less. But I just on the moment, on the moment I was just like, no. Did I, you see the uh, him talking to the woman who engraves the Oscars at the party? No, because you know that like the Oscars aren't necessarily engraved, and you get them it's right. at the like the governor's ball party or whatever, where someone literally puts the name on. Like, oh, I didn't it's know like it was at the governor's ball. That's fun. Uh, I guess it's part of the ceremony, and so there's footage of him talking to the woman while she's engraving his name, and and he goes, um, "So do you do this every year?" And she said, "Yeah," and he goes, he like pauses and goes. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good for him. Yeah. So I'm happy uh, as much as I don't care about the Oscars. I'm happy that Leonardo DiCaprio won for a movie that I didn't really like that much. Yeah. And I'm sad that Sylvester Stallone didn't win for a movie I didn't see. I'm stupid. All right. All right. Screenplay. Did you have a screenplay? Yeah, I have. Um, Again, this is one I'm not entirely sure where to go with, but I'm going to say for being, see, this is where I don't know how to separate the screenplay from the execution of the screenplay. It's tough. You know what I mean? It's tough when, especially like I was talking about Ryan Coogler, it's the same writer yeah. director. Yeah. And that's the same, actually the same writer director here too, but I'm going to go ahead and go with, uh, this is an adapted screenplay, um, but Spike Lee for Chirac. Okay. Um, because it's so unwieldy. Yeah. And it's so, have you, you've seen it now? I have not oh, okay. seen it, but just everyone um, told me what it was. And I was like, that sounds it's, really hard. It's a, yeah, it's a, cra- not only is it a crazy idea to begin with to update, um, a two and a half millennia old, yeah. um, Greek, uh, comedy into modern day Chicago, but also to keep the idea of people speaking in verse, yeah. even though it's in modern language, it's still, people are still rhyming, uh, while they talk and to cover so much ground in so many different ways that the movie does the fact that it all works again, it's the blend of the screenplay and the execution of it. Uh, but just the fact that it not only works, but that it ended up being my, what number three, uh, yeah, I think so. uh film of the year is, uh, really quite, uh, an outsized achievement. And there's something, there's something kind of special about Spike Lee looking at like the the horrible violence in Chicago and saying like, I want to make a movie about this. You know what? I bet the best the best possible structure would be. Yeah, I think I An got this guy. Ancient sex comedies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's obviously that's the best way. Yeah. Uh, more so than a documentary, anything like that. Um, okay, so we will move on. I'll jump to um, actress, lead actress. Okay. Okay. Mine is, and this is this is a, a perfect example of what I'm talking about. A great performance in a movie that I think is only so-so. There's a lot of good things about the movie, but I think as a whole, it's it's not forgettable, but it's just kind of uh, negligible. Uh, and that is uh, Kobe Smulders in Results. Did you see results? I did not, but I'm a big fan of Colby Smulders from yeah. years of watching How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, uh, she's great. Uh, Guy Pierce is great. Um, the uh, 
the screenplay is very good. Um, there's something very interesting about her character in that we've seen, I mean, it's, the film is basically a, v- a very shaggy dog um, romantic comedy that doesn't announce itself as a romantic comedy immediately. Um, and, but once it is, we realize we've seen her type of character before, which is, you know, kind of the, the, the tough broad who is, is very independent and then uh, finds herself um, unexpectedly in the midst of a loving relationship that will require more of her than she thought she was going to have to give. Um, and so that, that is what her character is. But one thing that is to results credit is that it is trying to, uh, inhabit our world. That's the shaggy, shaggy dog quality. Um, and so her character, again, the way it's written, but also the way she plays it, she has to make all of this real. She has to understand that, you know, the, the tough, no nonsense, I'm not interested in relationship type of woman, uh, that we see in romantic comedies, uh, in real life, might be a little bit insufferable and a little bit pleased with herself and might be <laughs> reminding everybody all the time, I don't need you. Uh, and so there, there's something kind of unlikable about the character, but there also still needs to be a spark of, you know, we do want to root for this character's happiness. And she does that. She, she manages to create um, this woman who is, who is deeply flawed, often unlikable, but somehow I still feel like, it's it's genuinely one of those things where it's like someone that you meet in real life and you're like, oh, if you could only get out of your own way. And you genuinely feel that way. That like there is so much good about you. Right. Why can't you why can't the asshole you just leave? Um and that's kind of how she is and and that is a tightrope to walk because if she goes too if she goes too far in the likable direction, then she just, then all of the unlikable stuff, she just looks like, you know, Walter Matthau or something like that. Just this (laughs) lovable curmudgeon. Um, but if she goes too far in the other way, then it's like, okay, I don't care about your happiness. In fact, I'd prefer you just die. Um, and that's, that's not the situation either. Like it is, it is a, like I said, it's a tightrope to walk and she walks it very well. Why isn't she a bigger star? I don't know. She does have a very specific, screen presence that I think doesn't necessarily lend itself to standard star vehicles. Do you think? I mean, I find her, I, I don't like, I mean, I, I feel like I can't talk today. Um, I generally, I bristle at the sort of like uh, knee jerk comparison of actress to actress just because they're both women or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I do feel like she has a not dissimilar presence to Sandra Bullock. Sure. Um, and Sandra Bullock's a big star. <laughs> yeah. Deserving this. I, I'm a huge Sandra Bullock fan and I yeah. always, always have been. Um, I feel like for a while it wasn't cool to be a Sandra Bullock fan. Uh, for a long stretch, I'd say. But I think it's cool now. I think so. Yeah, it always I mean, should have been. When you She's realize that, great. when you realize that she, you know, can basically carry a movie like Gravity and not get get uh, completely overshadowed by the special effects, like yeah. that's some that's a very special kind of screen presence. And I feel like Kobe Smulders has a similar um, presence. Uh, in that, I mean, you just talked about all the things that are insufferable about her, but you still are rooting for her. Yeah. I think that's, that's the thing about, I feel like I've never seen Kobe Smulders play a character that I didn't think I would probably be friends with if she existed sure. in real life, you know, like especially Robin Scherbatsky on How I Met Your Mother. Uh, she 
seems like uh she seems like a, a blast and someone that you would um care deeply for even despite their flaws mm-hmm. and i think that's uh yeah, I think that's star quality, and I don't know. Maybe it's just because there are no movie stars anymore <laughs> that she isn't a big star. I guess that's a thing we need to devote an episode to. Didn't we, like, a seven long, years ago? <laughs> a long time ago, but people are saying it a lot more now. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so actress for you? Uh, lead actress. Yeah. I am going to correct the Academy, and I am going to say Rooney Mara okay. for Carol is the best uh, lead actress. Um, you know who got that right? Uh, who did? The, the, B- the, the BPs. BPs? Yeah. As, as far as category. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I feel like I said this when we did our best of two weeks ago. I feel like we've talked about Carol so much on the podcast that yeah. I don't know how much more there really is, uh, to say, but, um, this was the other movie that I was, when I, when I ended up picking Chirac for screenplay, um, I ended up uh, the other one I was wrestling with was was Carol, but the reason I chose Chirac I think is because there's so much that goes on in Carol emotionally that doesn't uh, that that I don't I don't I, I don't know if it's in the screenplay or mm-hmm. not. You know, I'm not saying just because people aren't speaking that it's not the screenplay. That's I'm not stupid. I know that screenplays are more than just the dialogue. But I guess I I'm just saying I don't know how much is um is in is in the words on the page. Um but there's an there's an empathy with that you have for Therese, I think that couldn't possibly be on the page. It's something in, um, in, in her performance and in her eyes. Like, I, I really feel like I'm seeing, I feel like I'm seeing the world through her eyes, even when the camera's on her, like, uh, and I, some of that is Todd Haynes, but I think a lot of that is, is her performance. Um, and her, just the way she, carries herself you you reacted to the eyes thing yeah because you read my mind actually uh as you were saying that uh there's something there that the script can't provide yeah. and i thought like you you can only write facial expression and you can only write you know a look in her eyes so much like you need an actress to realize that mm-hmm. and get to the core of it and uh, you know and she has you know these very expressive beautiful eyes and also i feel like if you look at her at the beginning she's absolutely a lead it bothers me so much that that happens but i I understand why it does but anyway when you look at her at the beginning and you look at their look at her at the end she doesn't appear to have changed that much Mm -hmm. you know she's still she's experienced more things but if you look at the way she carries herself if you if you look at the expression on her face, she has experienced more. She's experienced, uh, you know, adversity, love, broken heart, all kinds of stuff. You know, she has, she's hurt other people. She has been hurt. This is what she has experienced since meeting, you know, since meeting Carol. And, you know, at the beginning, I think of her as kind of this doe eyed innocent. Um, and then at the end, again, she doesn't look that different, but she just carries herself in a way that says like, you know, it's, it 
let's focus in on the eyes. This might be a little lofty. I apologize. But at the beginning, it's just like, like wide eyed and just looking at the world with sort of with like fresh eyes. And then at the end, it's more just like, oh, she's seen a lot through those eyes. Like there's just, it's hard to explain. And it's, it's an intangible quality. You're absolutely right. It's an intangible quality that you can write all day long, but if you get the wrong actress, mm-hmm. it, none of it will come through. And the and thing like she was in girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. Think of how different those performances are. Yeah. And I don't just mean like the cosmetic stuff. I mean, and, yeah. and even the accent just, I again, find her the way very, she carries herself. I find a lot of, I find her very sympathetic in the girl with the dragon tattoo. As oh, well. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so she has, because you see her assaulted. It's probably, it would be hard not to feel sympathy. <laughs> that's before. true. Yes. Yes. Um, what's next? What's next, David? I'll tell you, uh-huh. you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say our, uh, our grab bag category is next. Oh, okay. It can be whatever category you want it to be, David. Okay. Would you like me to go first? Yeah. I want to keep, I want you to keep going. Indeed. First. Uh, so I went with cinematography and I went with Mike, uh, Geolacus for it follows. Oh, have you seen it follows? I have not. No. Okay. Uh, I remember reading, I think before I saw the film, I, I so uh, um, I wish I hadn't read this cause now, cause once I saw it, it's all I saw. Um, people talked about the 360 nature, 360 degree nature of the cinematography that you frequently have a camera spinning or at least like the film seems more you know, more, um, cinemascope than, uh, the hateful eight. It seems like a hmm. horizontal film and I, and it's because, and it works so well for the film that we're talking about because you got to keep your eyes open. You got to keep your head on a swivel. You got You have to pay close attention to what's in your peripheral vision. You need to be willing to turn your head at a moment's notice and see if there's something over there, if there's something behind you and the camera work, uh, emulates that so well, just the paranoia and the constant movement required when this thing is, is coming towards you. Uh, it's, it's fabulous camera work. I, I feel like, you know, as, as a, as a structuralist or a formalist, I do not recall what you refer yeah. to yourself <laughs> at that point. You should say like, I'm simply a man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, no, I'm like, uh, Elaine Bennis with her anti fur thing. Eh, who has it? <laughs> I just saw, I just rewatched that episode. Delightful. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, uh, but I think you would, I think, you know, you've, you said it, uh, in the movie journal, I think you dig it the most, uh, the film from a story standpoint sort of falls apart. There's some character stuff that I think you'll really appreciate. The music's wonderful, but I think you would really have an appreciation for the camera work. Uh, insofar as a camera can put you in the mindset of the characters, this does a better job than a, um, any movie in recent memory. All right. Um, well, no big surprise for my grab bag category. I'm also going with cinematography. Okay. And I'm going with uh, Lee Pin Bing for The Assassin. Okay. Um, which is uh, a movie that, I mean, I guess the, the, the cliche thing to say about it is that any, uh, any frame of the movie could be, you know, printed out or hung on a wall, right. you know, and that's, that's very much true, but it's also a movie that, uh, it, it, it's right there in the name. It's a movie like things move. And it's not that the assassin is necessarily a hyperkinetic film for the most part. It's very much not that, but there are, there are fights where he captures, uh, kineticism. And I think that's, that's the, the, the difference here between like modern action filmmaking where the, 
camera and the editing are moving as much as the bodies. Um, he's, he's just pick, picking the perfect frame for everything, whether it be um, a dialogue scene in someone's chambers or if it's uh, a fight scene, um, all of which are really well choreographed, um, even though they're also very brief, all the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which I um, pointed out back when I first talked about the assassin takes place on the other side of a line of trees. So you're not like, hmm. you can't see all the action. You're mostly just seeing sort of limbs uh, in between in between the trees. Um, but that brings me to my other point, which is as when a movie is as still as the assassin is, uh, one way you can uh, make up for the lack of camera movement is um, depth within the frame. And he, Lee Pinbing finds so many beautiful ways to create different layers within each shot. Um, be it with, you know, billowing curtains or, uh, or the trees, like I said before, or in one of the most beautiful shots. Uh, the, I think it's the final shot of the movie, um, or it's near the final, um, one of the most beautiful shots maybe in the history of movies, which is just a shot of the mountainside with a sort of morning mist hmm. rising off it. And which, um, recalls the curtains that I uh, mentioned uh, uh, earlier. It's there's again, it's a very slow moving movie, but it doesn't need to move any faster because it gives you so much to uh, to use another cliche to feast on in every shot. Man, I gotta see this movie. Yeah, I mean, I like I I, I have you know the screener, and I did not get around to it. But when it comes out on Blu-ray, I feel like it will be particularly gorgeous. There you go. And so uh, it will be a priority for me when it does. Um, okay, so next. So we got two categories left. We got supporting actress and director. Okay. We're going to do supporting actress. Okay. So we can end with director as a tourists always should. <laughs> um, I'm torn between two, but I will go ahead and, and mention this because not enough other people are. I'm going to mention uh, Isabella Rossellini in Joy. Um, now I know you're not a big fan of joy, but I think her performance in that a lot of it is the writing, but again, it's very much how the character carries herself. Mm -hmm. She is at times very silly, but at other times she's very authoritative and she, okay, this is going to sound strange and maybe offensive, to one person. So Matt, if you're listening, sorry in advance. Okay. So her character is, um, a widow. Mm -hmm. All right. And she has a great deal of money left to her by her husband who she loved very much. And with that, with that money, she has got, she's found a fair amount of independence and, she still has a desire to connect with other people, but she is also very aware of her standing in the world that she is a wealthy widow. And so she's a little bit cautious with that. And the way that she sizes people up by looking at them, the way that she talks to people when they are asking for money, Mm -hmm. um, 
It's my mom. <laughs> now, I don't mean to say that my mom is authorita- uh, authoritative or, or, or authoritarian or anything like that. I don't mean to draw that much of a comparison, but I've seen that in my mom. Now, she might be, she's remarried now, but at the same time, like, you know, my dad took very good care of her uh, so that she really wouldn't have to work another day in her life after he passed away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he passed away at 50. She was 49 at the time. So she basically retired at 49 and she is fine now she has to she can't be careless with her money he didn't take care of her that well but um but you know she she tries to be generous where she can and but she also doesn't want to be taken advantage of by by people and just when my mom talks about her again she is remarried so there's that but like when when she would talk about being a widow and when she would talk about having more money now than she thought she was going to have, you know, she's better off with my dad gone than she was with him around. Um, financially, financially, yeah, <laughs> I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got my theories. Um, so, uh, I don't know. And so it, it, there is a, there's a very specific, um, there's a very specific tone that my mom will take. I don't, I do not think she's aware of it and she doesn't really take it so much anymore, but for the first few years after my dad passed away, there was that. And I saw it in every frame of Isabella Rossellini's performance. Just a woman who is perpetually aware of where she stands in life. And, and, and I don't mean from a position of like being downtrodden or anything like that. It's more just, I know it's, I'm a wealthy widow and I know what that means. Hmm. And there's a truth to her performance. There's a sadness to her performance. There's an authority to it. There's a humor to it. I think it's marvelous. And again, like I know not, I know not a, not a lot of people liked joy as much as I did, but there are individual elements that are amazing. And I think she deserves a lot more attention as opposed to the none that she has gotten. <laughs> um, that's actually, that's not true. One other person submitted her for the BPs. I don't remember who it was, but one person did aside yeah. from me. So good, good there for you them. go. Um, that sounded sarcastic. Did that, um, was that like too personal? Was that no, not at all. Okay. I loved it. All right. Um, all right. For mine, for best supporting actress, um, uh, reminded of just a few minutes ago, you were talking about Sylvester Stallone, an actor who's been around for a long time and is now doing, the best work of their career in a supporting role. Uh, and I am going to return to Chirac to single out Angela Bassett. Oh, all right. Um, who plays the sort of, uh, a, a sort of mentor to the main character, the, um, the woman who goes on the, who initiates the sex strike. That is mm-hmm. the whole premise of the movie. Um, Angela Bassett plays a sort of elder of the, uh, of Chicago's black community, um, who has, seen things that have always been bad, but maybe in her eyes are getting worse. Um, and it's, it's the, it's the kind of character, and this is true. I mean, this is true of so much of Chirac that could be corny and cliched, but he, um, writes, he has written a character with all of these, um, that, um, What's the word I'm looking for? They, they hew closer to being archetypes than cliches. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so she gets to play this, this woman who has um, been through a lot more as we learn more as the movie goes on. Um, 
and uh, gets to play her very, very large um, without um, dulling the emotional impact of of her character. And she gets to be, um, I, th- I think, one of the smartest decisions that she makes um, is not just being the the not just playing the wiser older mentor role but also we see the we see her humanity and we see that she has been um hurt deeply and we see her lash out in ways that maybe she would have counseled against mm-hmm. uh, on, on on her own um and but never without without ever abandoning being um in a lot of ways the the heart of of the movie hmm. Uh, it's really fantastic, powerful stuff that's also occasionally quite funny, which I think um, I think Angela Bassett doesn't get enough credit for um, how she can, uh, in a lot of roles, I think, go big and make that work by being kind of funny about it. Hmm. Like, I think uh, as much as I am not a fan of the, especially the later seasons of American horror story, she's great in them. I think, hmm. um, there's also sort of like, uh, larger than life things like, um, strange days, it, oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I always like her more when she's playing something a little bit larger than life as opposed to the, you know, I was never into, uh, the Tina Turner movie, you know, I, I feel like it's, she was t- good in it. I thought, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I don't like that whole sort of, um, it's just such a bland biopic approach. I don't like that movie very much at all. Uh, but I, like, I mean, I like her and I remember liking, um, Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne, you know, maybe I need it's, to, their performances belong in a better movie. Yeah, maybe I'll I need put it to re- that way. Rewatch it again. I probably won't. But um, who directed that? Do you remember? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. I can find okay. out. But yeah, uh, Angela Bassett for Chirac. Okay. I can't wait till you, you see it someday, and we can talk about it more. Also, I'll, I'll, I will try to make it. It's on Amazon right now, right? Yeah, Is that's, that the situation. That's how I okay. Saw it. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are at the last category: um, best director, or I guess just you know, notable director. Yeah. Um, so mine is, it could be the same as yours, David. The concept excites me to no end. Mine is Paolo Sorrentino for you. Oh, it's not mine. But Damn yeah. it. Damn it. Excitement destroyed. So um, um, real quick, What's Little Got to Do With It was directed by Brian Gibson. Oh, jeez. Whose other notable works are The Juror from 1996. Okay. Uh, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side from okay. 1986. Um, those are the main ones you've probably heard of. Yep. That is not a guy that I would trust to, uh, direct the, uh, Tina Turner biopic. Oh, he also died. It was only 59 when he died. That's Poor sad. Guy. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry to speak ill of the dead. Um, so, uh, yeah, youth was a film that the way you describe the assassin is a lot of the way I describe youth. Mm-hmm. I threw, I, I, I have a screener of it. I threw it in one night at like 1130. I don't know why I did that. That was a bad call uh, or seemingly so. Um, I think like everything about that was just, just said, Oh, you're, you're probably going to watch a half hour of it and then you're going to need to get back to work. Mm -hmm. But as tends to happen, uh, I watched all of it and it's like, Oh shoot. I got to get back to work. Um, <laughs> but it's just one of those movies. I found it hypnotic. 
it is, it manages to, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I have to see the great beauty now, obviously. That's um, uh, like almost word for word exactly what my wife said when we, when we left the screening, yeah. she was like, is the great beauty like that? I think I need to watch that. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it juggles so many tones and brings them all together. Like it made the most sense in the world. Uh-huh. It's just, it, there's a wonder to it. There's a mournful quality to it. There's there's a surreal quality to it. You could tell me that this uh, this what would you call it? Not it's not a health club. What would you call that? that? It's a it's a resort. I think. Well, I think it's a sanatorium. Okay, but that's like in the European use of the word. Right. Right. Yeah. All these people are insane. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, it's but a you, place where people go to rejuvenate, to relax, right. and to leave feeling rested and healthy. Right. Okay. So. You know, someone could tell me that, oh, uh, the sanatorium, it turns out it's just, uh, you know, th- like what they said with Lost, where it's like, oh, this is basically uh, the afterlife. Right. And, the, and these people are never leaving here, but why would you want to? Someone could make that argument to me, and I'd say, like, everything you said works. <laughs> uh, that stencil works completely. Uh, it's just a film that is so gorgeous. The pacing is so uh, entrancing. I just couldn't... I couldn't take my eyes off. It was one of the most beautiful films I saw last year. Um, and I just, the way the characters, uh, were created, the, the role that music plays as it should, given that the main character is a, is a conductor, mm-hmm. um, and a composer. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I have a hard time talking about it because it feels like I shouldn't, it feels like words don't work in talking about that film. Like it's a film that just speaks for itself. You just need to see it. And that's what you, that's what I can say about it is the movie. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. I like that. Yeah. All right. Best director for me. I feel like as much as I'd like to be cunning. Okay. I'm just going to go with the director of my favorite movie of the year, which is Rodney Asher. Okay. Uh, who made the nightmare and who our best um, buddy is a friend of the podcast, uh, and, uh, a good guy. um, but it's, I, I, I don't know. So sometimes I, need, I, I think I need to examine certain biases that I have, not biases that he's uh, a guy who's been on the show, but it's kind of like with picking Chirac for best uh, screenplay. It's like part of it is just points for trying to pull that off in the yeah, first place. Absolutely. You know, and like the nightmare is such a bold proposition to be like a, documentary that's also a horror film that's also a really deeply empathetic existential and spiritual exploration of uh of 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 life and um the things that we are worried are out there or that are worried are inside us um and then beyond just it being bold in its premise it also has um, aesthetic boldness, you know, doing so much, uh, in terms of recreations, um, essentially making many horror scenes with Mm -hmm. them, uh, and doing it in a way that, uh, is, I mean, I know we tend to praise practical effects over CGI effects, um, in general, but he, he really took the ball and ran with it and did not, 
I'm sure he. I'm sure that Rodney Asher was aware in making some of these uh, reenactments. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Um, that he was brushing up against the possibility of being uh, hokey with sure. them by having actual guys in suits in a lot of ways. I, th- I think there is some animation in some uh, of the yeah, yeah. shadowy stuff, but not. Uh, yeah, uh, but it's mostly guys in in just black body suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with the fake, there's the aliens and there's this yeah. stuff that like, uh, it looks homemade, but it's also, there's something about the fact that it's homemade. And maybe this is just writing Asher being a fan of old horror movies. There's something about it being homemade that makes it more primal, you yeah. know? Um, it, it, it you know, I, I feel like the things you think of in your dreams don't look like they're CGI. They look like they're real. Yeah. And so having things that look real, even if, if if the spell is broken and you're standing outside the movie, you go, well, that's a guy, it's just a guy in a suit or a guy with yeah. an alien head on or whatever. Um, but in, in the end, that choice makes the terror more, uh, more impactful, more immediate and more tangible. Uh, and then there's also the weird, uh, thing he does with the camera during the interviews, which is sort of walking around <laughs> like the camera moving something yeah. you never see in it. Like, in a movie, when, in a documentary that has talking head section interviews, yeah. you don't see the cameraman sort of like stand up and walk to the side of the room or like yeah. float around a little bit, um, or at least not to this extent. Um, occasionally just catching Rodney in the shot, like yeah. sitting in a chair. Like it's a weird, bold move, um, but it um, adds to the feeling that this is not this is not your father's documentary. <laughs> No, I guess not. Um, no, my dad was a salesman uh, type of guy. Um, yeah. yeah uh, Speaking of I, like shadowy figures, this desk chair of yours keeps freaking me out. Oh, because I have a chair on it? Uh, I, have a, I have a shirt on it? It's not just that you have a shirt on it. It's that it's comically tall. Yeah. Like, I don't even know where you get a desk chair like this. Ikea. That goes, it goes so high. Yeah. It's nice because I can lean my head back. My head back. Yeah, on. no, I can never really see the um, the appeal. But just so you know, every time I'm looking at you, it's to the right of me, and it has this cardigan or whatever uh, hanging on it, and it and it looks like a hulking uh, figure dressed in black. <laughs> this movie really got to it. Yeah, it really did. Um, yeah, uh, I forgot during the movie journal to mention that I rewatched uh, the Nightmare a fourth time for the fourth time uh, with Jen. Uh, and she did not care for it very much, uh, saying that she just thought it was a bit meandering. She wanted to, she wanted to know more. She wanted to figure it out. And I can't blame her. A lot of people uh, feel yeah. that way. It's a common reaction. But to me, the, the appeal of the film is, is that we're not going to figure it out. The, to me, the pacing of the film is, is meant to be, I don't know, is meant to make us listen rather than try and figure everything out, you know, rather than try and fix these people, which undoubtedly everybody has tried to do their friends, their family, their doctors, just, I'm sure they've heard one suggestion after another. And chances are people don't really listen to them Mm -hmm. in the same way that, I mean, you know, if I told you one of my dreams right now, no matter how fascinating it was to me, you would totally glaze over. Um, and that's that tends to happen. It's actually kind of a joke at this point that yeah. when people talk about, yeah, you want to you want to bore me, just tell me your most fascinating dream. Um, I know, I, I've I've had some pretty good dreams. 
No, I, I have, I've, I remember like five of them over the course of my life and, uh, they're all, I mean, they're all nightmares. Um, they're, yeah, mine they're terrible. I tend um, to have nightmares that involve me getting shot. Okay. And there being a, an either famous person or cultural figure there for some reason. Oh man. How either. embarrassing. Well, one time I got shot by Hitler. Oh my. On my, uh, in my suburban neighborhood that I grew up in. <laughs> Hitler, Hitler took a time machine to the future to shoot you. Uh, yeah, yeah. What? A, no one saw that twist coming. And then one time I had a dream where I got shot, and I was at Eminem's house for some reason. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, anytime a celebrity shows up in my dream, it's always in the green room of my high school, where it's like I'm about to go on or I'm in between acts of a play, and then I sit down and there's Jack Nicholson in the tux, and he's like, "How's it going?" I'm like, "How you doing, Jack?" He goes, "How's the pl- how's the show going?" I'm like, "Not bad." We we're, we are daily on this podcast defeating the cliche that dreams are interesting. Oh, sure. Such as your. Michael Gambon dream that is a, that is true the pillar of the podcast. Yeah, it's a BP lore at this point. Yeah, um, but that's the point. Is I feel like the film it just wants to give these people their day. It wants to yeah. allow them to be heard rather than trying. You know, it's it's a it's a thing that uh, you know Jen and I have talked about a lot in our own relationship that. You know, when she's talking about something that she is frustrated with, not just with me, but in, in, in life, uh, I will do what is kind of a cliche man thing to do and immediately try to fix it mm-hmm. because then I'm then I'm the hero. Um, and meanwhile, what she really wanted in that moment before moving towards solutions was sympathy. And, and she wanted to know that someone was there with her in the, mm-hmm. in those feelings. And I feel like that's what the nightmare is. I feel like it's a tremendously sympathetic and just like room 237, totally non-judgmental. Like it does not, I don't know if Rodney, I don't know who Rodney believes and who he doesn't believe. Yeah. Maybe he believes everybody. Maybe he believes nobody. I don't know. That's one of the things I love about the film. It's totally neutral. I love, I, I do, you know, yes, Rodney's been on the show a couple of times. He's a great guy. We like him a lot. He'll probably be on the show again at some point. Um, I love the way he makes movies, and yeah, he's a great director. All right, he he puts that uh, he puts that Paolo Sorrentino to shame. That's what I say. <laughs> All right. Those are our individual achievement picks for yep. this year. You can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find reviews of probably most of the movies that we just talked about um, and all sorts of other stuff, including links to other podcasts in the BP fleet. Uh, you can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Now, Tyler, you have some other podcasts. Uh, yes, I do. Sorry. I was just, uh, I'm recording two more things after this and I just saw, uh, something. And so, uh, yeah, I have, I have a uh, worth playing for in which, uh, my wife and I talk about, uh, survivor and it's a very interesting season this time. And then there's more than one lesson. Oh, and you can find that at battleship retention. And then there's more than one lesson. My Christian podcast uh, this week, we are talking about the film, risen directed by Kevin Reynolds. Uh, very excited to talk about it because it's actually pretty good. All right. Um, and my other podcast is about TV. It's called Hey, Watch This. And this week, we're talking about the HBO documentary Mavis about Mavis Staples. All There's right. an exclamation point in the yeah. title. Um, it's like and, Jeb. Uh, yeah, yeah, or Oliver, um, or Streetcar. Um, <laughs> and then we are also talking about the premiere of The Family on abc which what is that that's one with joan allen oh yeah, Allison that's, Hill, yeah that's one with and the matt saracen 
Um, Matt Sarah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. That's who's in it. So, uh, yeah, listen to that. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.